What's up, guys? Today on Birdland BS, it's episode 52, and we're calling this one What Time Is It? And if you don't know that reference, you might want to leave. Uh, we're going to talk closing time at the yard, seeing some new faces in Aberdeen, a Baltimore football roundup, Capitals restock rundown. Stay tuned for all this and more on the next episode of Birdland BS. thought we'd start the show off like that birdland bs check it out what is up guys today is july the 3rd 2018 you're listening to episode 52 of birdland bs this is fred and scott and what time is it game time huh you better know that reference. If you don't, you're watching the wrong podcast or listening yeah. to the wrong podcast. Uh, we are on Facebook Live and YouTube Live tonight as usual. Uh, James is already in the house. He's the first man in every time and the last man out. That is a true <laughs> athlete right there. We appreciate it every week, James. <laughs> so, uh, Fred, we got a lot to talk about this week. Um, you know, time has a lot to do with this episode. Yeah, uh, a lot. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, we're just we're just gonna put it out there real quick because we're gonna talk about it a little bit more later on. What time is it? You better know it's game time, and you better know it's for episode number fifty-two, Fred. That's right, Ray Ray. Ray Ray is going into the Hall of Fame, and we are gonna talk a little bit about him. We're gonna talk a little bit about our favorite memories, you know, when it comes to the Ravens. Uh, so we'll get into that much later. Uh, but time is also in essence, for the Orioles. Yeah, I'd say so. There's a lot going on time-wise for the Orioles. We're reaching the deadline here in 30 days, less than 30 days at this point. We're down to, what, 28 days. Um, And at some point, if the Orioles don't make a move, fans are not going to be happy, and I guarantee you a few of the players are not going to be happy as well. Yeah, I mean, fans are already rumbling. I mean, this has been... A long time in coming. Uh, you know, a lot of people were up in arms that this didn't happen before the season started. Uh, you know, if you were any kind of realist in Baltimore, you knew before this season started, the Orioles never really stood a chance in retaining Manny Machado. And if you're like me in any kind of way, I thought you would get more value from Machado going into the season than you would now at the deadline, only just because. Simple number games. You get Machado for an entire year versus a half a year. Uh, and who wouldn't want, you know, an all-star third baseman, perennial gold glover third baseman, or, you know, a, a pretty damn good shortstop. I'm not going to call him a, a gold glover yet because he's still got some some things to prove at the uh-huh. shortstop position defensively. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the talks are definitely heating up. Lately, there's uh, there's been some rumblings about the Diamondbacks getting really, really aggressive. The Dodgers starting to amp up their interest. The Phillies, and yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Orioles scouts, which aren't very many, mind you. The Orioles do not invest very much money in scouting, but the the, the scouts that they do have uh, are out and working around the clock, scouting some young talent. 
uh, out in LA and in Arizona. And I'm sure there are some in Philly as well. Uh, even the Cubs are, are back in it, you know, in the negotiation period. So something's going to happen. It's just a matter of what kind of return can we get from Machado at this point? Uh, I mean, we're playing the Phillies for the next, what, two, three games. Uh, can we just leave them there and yeah. just take the baggage with us? And, you know, why not? Only thing I'm worried about there with Philly is they've got Andy McPhail. And if you remember, Andy McPhail orchestrated one of the best trades in Orioles history, giving up a washed up Eric Bedard, to put it nicely, <laughs> for Adam You're Jones. You're being very generous. <laughs> yeah, be, being very kind, I'll say. Uh, so it, it scares me a little bit to, to negotiate with that guy because you just don't know. If, if, and if anybody can evaluate talent, I think that's one thing that, that Andy McPhail does very, very well. Um, I don't think he was kind of given his fair share here. I think, honestly, in my opinion, a lot of our success over the last five years, more is more more praise should be given to McPhail, I think, oh, yeah. than, Mc, than Duquette. McPhail set it up. I mean, that's that's the that's the biggest thing. McPhail set it up for them to succeed moving forward. Yeah, Justin Hatch, a, a employee I work with at Liberty Chimes, in, says the Orioles will want too much from Philly because Phils are in win now mode, and and that's true. Uh, I think pretty much everybody that we're talking about, you know, the, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks, you know, they're they're kind of there in that win now mode too because. Um, Goldschmidt, he's getting ready to become a free agent here soon. He's going to demand a very large contract when he does hit free agency. Uh, if you do get a guy like Manny Machado and you recruit him for the next six months, you're not going to be paying Manny Machado, you know, pennies. You're going to be paying him quite a, uh, you know, a pretty penny. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they can get. I will say this: Philly is stocked a lot better at the minor league levels, talent wise, than Arizona as are the Dodgers, as are the Cubs. Uh, Arizona has got one of the bottom-tiered minor league systems of the group. Uh, But, you know, like I said, at this point, we need to to act now. I don't don't even care. Like, you know, people are talking about, well, who's going to represent the Orioles at the All-Star game? Really? Do you care at this point, like, who the Orioles representative is at the All-Star game? I don't care. And I, I really don't care if it's Manny Machado or not. I what do, I care is I we do get wish, a return. I do wish Jonesy the best of luck to be able to get in, but that doesn't look like it's happened at this point. Yeah, I mean, that'll probably be the the person that makes it if Machado's dealt prior to the trade deadline. Cause they've been, How does that work, by the way? Well, they've got to have a representative from every team. So it's it's... It's one of those things where if Manny's dealt, if he's your representative going into it and he's dealt, I, I guess, I don't know. See, if it comes like to the point where there's a day or two left, you know, before the all-star game, do they force somebody, you know, for the, the, the managers to pick? I don't know. I don't know. It, that'd be interesting to look into to find out, but, uh, I don't know. Trisha <laughs> says she doesn't care either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, at this point, you gotta, you gotta make changes. What you've got right now is obviously not working. Um, by the way, I have to point out to our, our Facebook listeners because they don't get the joy. I'm sorry, guys, of seeing. We're going to just turn. We have a new 
setup here. And if you can kind of see it, it's just all memorabilia all along the side. <laughs> studio is uh, starting to come together. Yeah, the studio is really starting to come together here. We're going to be, uh, you know, making adjustments as we go on. Uh, and we're really loving these changes. We hope you guys, too. Uh, if you want to check out some of the, the the full shot of, you know, what it looks like with Fred and I from the, from the side, uh, you could actually check it out on the YouTube page as well. Uh, so all the video is also being uploaded to the YouTube after every show. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty good fun time, and Fred and I are really enjoying making these adjustments. It feels like a real studio, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's a it's it's cluttered, but it's it's a beautiful clutter of all different types of things, all different types of Orioles and Ravens giveaways and memorabilia. It's a it's kind of fun in here. You it's better watch, and I'll walk out with that Memorial Stadium brick. <laughs> by the way, yeah, it's a, I've, that's probably my oldest piece of memorabilia that I have in here. Kind of cool. Still younger um, than you. Getting back to, <laughs> getting back to some <laughs> of the trade rumors, though. We, we you mentioned <clears throat> Adam Jones. So Adam Jones is having a, a pretty good year, uh, considering what, what this lineup does day in and day out. The, the lineup. I mean, he's hitting like right around two eighty five, two ninety. Been hovering around that, which is pretty high for him. I mean, it's a little bit above his career average. Um, I'm I'm the, like I said in in previous episodes. I'm for the notion if you get an offer for him, you make that you make that deal. The problem with Adam Jones is he's a 10-5 guy, so the chips are kind of in his court. Yeah. Uh if he doesn't want to go somewhere, well then he has the right to veto that trade. Uh but I think I I'd, I'd love for the Orioles to find a trade partner that is in contention, get him a shot at a ring just for everything that he's done here. And then maybe, you know, in the off season, you bring him back, you know, just, just to give him one final shot at, you know, making a world series run. I, could, I think it's, I think the Orioles owe it to him. Yeah. I, I definitely think he's, you know, he, he's earned it at this point. He, he's, he doesn't deserve nor, you know, to, to the extent, nor does Manny, you know, Manny is a top tier player and doesn't deserve to be playing on a far below subpar team right. at this point. Um, you know, you kind of owe it to these guys and Manny, I'm sure will pay his due respects and tip his cap to Baltimore and say, thank you. You know, I, I don't see him not doing that. I feel like he's grown a lot. Is, does he still have a lot of growing to do? Yeah. We didn't talk about it, but you know, the other night, Manny got a lot of criticism for not running out of double play ball and it was well deserved, but from everything that's coming out, he went straight into Buck's office after Buck's press conference, after the game or the next morning, whatever, and said he was in the wrong. At least that's what Buck is saying. Um, do I think that happened potentially? Uh, but I do think that kind of may have hurt him a little bit when it comes to trade. You know, that's not a good attitude to have. Yeah, and, and Manny, as you, if, if you haven't noticed, if you if you follow him on any of the social networks like Instagram, uh, and Facebook, like he's been doing some things. He's been really, really active on social media recently, like trying to do giveaways and things. I think really working on his image, you know what I mean? Cause that, that's a big part of marketability is a big part of your contract. I mean, yeah, yeah. obviously your play is your first and foremost, your biggest portion of your contract, but how much they can make on you from a marketability standpoint obviously plays an effect as well. Huge role. Right. And and that's when you look at two guys like 
Bryce Harper and, and Manny Machado and you compare the two and you try to think, well, which one's going to get the bigger contract? If you're just talking about play and what they mean to a team, I think Manny Machado brings more to the table because, you know, he's an infielder. He's either a third baseman or a shortstop. That's one of the top power hitting young players in the game. Whereas Harper, he's a corner outfielder, power hitting corner outfielders, a kind of a dime a dozen in major league baseball. So I think Manny kind of outweighs Harper in that sense. But Harper, I mean, he has been a very marketable guy since day one, whether you like him or not. He's 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 a prick in my eyes. I I I, <laughs> I, I really don't like the kid. But so you, you fall under the Papelbon instinct on him, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think he's he's always kind of had the you know I'm I'm above everybody else attitude type thing, and I don't I don't it kind of rubs me the wrong way. But you know he's got the face, he's got the luscious hair. You know he uh, he he has been good for baseball in a marketability standpoint, and that plays a big part. You know what he's you know what he's got this year too. What's that? He's got a two seventeen batting average. Yeah, that's pretty so bad. Manny is well above where uh, he is as far as you know. I was actually looking at it with one of one of the people I work with today, and we were looking at the stats. We were looking at you. Know, What's the potential contracts that are going to come out for these guys? And some people are saying 350. Some people are saying 375. There was one prediction uh, putting Manny at 400 above Bryce. Stupid money. It it is. Um, But at the same time, I think you – you owe it to him and you owe it to Adam, like you said, to to trade them. You know, you brought up the 10-5 thing for Adam. Vetoing any trade that he wants. At this point, though – I think you'd be stupid to trade Adam Jones to a non-contending team. Oh yeah, no. I mean, for I don't, what you could get for him in return, I don't think a non-contending team's trying to make that trade. You know, I think the majority of the teams that are going to be pursuing a guy like Adam Jones, the team that feels that they're one piece like Adam Jones away from either making the playoffs or making a deep run in the playoffs, that type of thing. Um and, and like I said, I just I feel like the Orioles kind of owe it to him at this point. You know, I mean he's yeah. he's been nothing but a, a model citizen here. Uh, he's been a fan favorite, you know, for for a long time. He'll always be an Oriole, uh, and, and you know, there's no saying that Adam doesn't want to finish his career here. He's never come out and said he didn't want to finish his career here. Matter of fact, like we we talked about a couple weeks ago, he just bought Ripken's property, whether that's an investment thing or not, who knows? That's still kind of up in the air. Um, but you know, he's never said he wanted out of Baltimore. The only thing that he said is that he does want to chase a ring, whether that's here or elsewhere. And Adam Jones isn't an idiot. No. He knows that the Orioles aren't close on going after a ring anytime soon. But if, you know, if if they were to trade him to the right team, say the Dodgers or say, you know, Houston, if Houston came calling for whatever need for for an Adam Jones, why wouldn't you make that move even if it's for a a low-level prospect just to kind of give him one shot at a World Series and then if you want to bring him back to Baltimore, you talk to him in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think he he definitely he shows that he cares about this city. Um but my one fear is you send him to somewhere like LA, he ain't going because that's near too close to home for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing I think about Adam is I think, you know, how much longer is he going to be able to play a solid center field? Yeah. And that's been a question mark around him now for the past couple of years. You know, there's been a lot of fans that have said he needs to, 
he needs to move, that he needs to move to a corner outfield position or probably maybe even a DH long term. Yeah, I mean that's that's where that's where I'm thinking. Like he's he's definitely not he's every time they're in Toronto, every time they're in Tampa, he's gotta take a, at least a game off, if not two games off, because of the turf. Right. Well, I'm sorry. I understand the turf plays an impact, but part of that is just Adam, I, I love you, man, but you're getting older. Yeah. You know, you're you're getting older and it's at some point, Adam will have to kind of make the move, you know, maybe left or right, and then potentially the DH. It happens to the greats. I mean, think you think late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, Andrew Jones, you know, out oh, in yeah. Atlanta when he made the transition from Atlanta to New York. You know, it was Father Time catches up to everybody at some point. Unfortunately, there's no getting around that. And you know, I'm not saying that Adam Jones is playing a poor center field because he's not. I mean, at, for considering his oh, age, no. uh, you know, he still has great instincts out there. He still has pretty good range, uh, but he has lost a step or two over the years. And like I said, it, there's nothing wrong. I, I think it, with him, it's like a pride thing. Oh, yeah. You know no, what absolutely. I mean? Like, I just, you know, I yeah, feel but, like I'm better than that. You know, that type of thing. I mean, and no offense to him, but any in any way, shape or form with this statement. But, dude, at this point, you can't hold a candle to Pilar. To Buxton, oh, no. to Ham, you can't hold a, a flame to these guys a, a, in your prime. Yes, absolutely. Adam Jones is a top center fielder. Yep. You're, you're kind of getting the cusp. You exactly. Know, you're, you're losing a step in the outfield here or there. Um, you know, and it's it, it shows. It's not as evident to some people. This this brings up actually a, a very good debate. So this is something that. Now with uh, interleague play happening a lot here, this is something that uh, I've always kind of wondered, and I don't understand why they don't make the change. It's only been forty something years, but the DH position, you know, we talk about that. Some people are good with having the differences between the American League and the NL and that kind of thing, but you know, as if you're really trying to 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 make the game more fun and more entertaining to watch a real easy fix in the national league is adding the DH position who wants to go and pay and watch a hitter hit very seldomly. Do you actually have a hitter or a pitcher that can hit it's, it's almost a guaranteed out every time they come up, it changes the strategies of the benches and things with interleague play being introduced and that kind of thing. What's your take on the DH role and whether or not that should be consistent through the league? I am on the side that most people are not. I actually like the split. And the reason being is, I yes, I agree with you that people don't come out to watch a pitcher hit. An average pitcher hit. But a guy like Madison Baumgartner. A Max Scherzer, Porcello the other night. Yeah, Porcello hits a double and clears the bases in Boston. But that's what what you're talking about is exactly what I'm I'm getting to. These are moments that stand out to you. These these don't happen every single night. You can name off the couple of times that it's happened. You know, over the course of the last couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. But it's not every game. And we also, but we also don't know how pivotal it is. You never know when you're going to see it happen. And I think that's a, it's that lottery effect for people where, you know, oh, we might see, oh, Madison's pitching tonight. 
at this point in his career, people aren't always going to see Madison Bumgarner pitch. They're going to watch, potentially, if they're going to a National League game, watch him try and put one out of the park because he, he does a pretty damn good job of it. But I, I don't know. I, 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 see, I see that side of it. I am just, I guess maybe you can call me a traditionalist. I've just always liked the idea that there is the interleague play. I do hate the fact that they made the interleague play spread out throughout the year. I do think that should have been something that stayed, you know, around this time of the year, you know, right around the all-star all-star break, you know, you just put it around that time. And I think it's a little extended. I think it just needs to be, you know, a a few games here, a few games there. Uh, It doesn't need to be, you know, the ordeal. It seems that they've made it out to be, but I do like, you know, you get to see something that you don't get to see. Um, So, when it comes to, for example, you know, in Philly tonight, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I'm going to a Philly game to watch and be there as an, as an Oriole fan, I get to see, you know, potentially Jake Garrietta or whoever's pitching hit. Um, and if they're coming to town, especially when we play those West Coast teams, I don't get the chance to see Madison Bumgarner play every day. And how awesome would that be when he comes to my city if he happens to hit a home run while he's here? I guess it's more of that that kind of excitement piece. Yes, it is. Is it affecting the game? Absolutely. But at the same time, that's where I guess I'm a traditionalist because you're going to lose a ton of those moments, and DH is going to get lost in everything. I, I mean, I get, I understand what you're saying to a degree, but I I just feel like you have to go one way or the other. You can't have it both ways. Where you, I, I just personally, I don't think you should have the difference in the leagues. Whether that means they adapt the DH or they get rid of the DH altogether, because you're you're expecting these AL pitchers, and Dylan Bundy is a prime example. Dylan Bundy's not pitching right now because he pulled some hamstrings running around bases that he's not usually set to run. I'm now, so- and and hold on a second, Dylan Bundy is the epitome of a workout rat. This is a guy who, I mean, when he was coming out of high school, you could see the, the the videos all over YouTube of him and the workouts and everything that he went through. So it's not like this guy just sits on his butt and he doesn't run and he doesn't stretch and he doesn't do things like that, you know, prior to games and all of that. But you're asking him to run sprints, 90-foot sprints, on a very irregular basis. Whereas your everyday players or even your pitchers in the National League that pitch every five games are at least doing it every five games. The American League pitchers, if, if, you take, if you took a look at the statistics, I guarantee you there's more pitchers in the American League that end up getting hurt from just running the bases. Simple as that. Simple as that. Running bases than there are National League pitchers just because they're not asked to do it. I could, game I could, in and game I could out. see that. I mean, I, I can see where, where you're coming from with that, but I guess that's where it's, you know, it's the same, the same token of, you know, it's the opposite way with national league pitchers. These guys are used to running the bases. They're used to doing things. Now you're asking them to sit in the dugout and stay cold. And that's why I think national league peach pitchers, in my opinion, and it's, it's always swung back and forth. So this is not a statement of this is how it goes, but the swing right now, where's the strength in pitching? The National League. And here's why I think, and, and I guess maybe... But you maybe, could also attribute that to ballparks too. American League ballparks are typically a lot smaller, a lot more hitter-friendly 
than the majority of National League ballparks. And so that's, that's part of it. That's fair enough. But I'm I, if you denounce this statement, I don't know. I don't know what I can say to 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 even bring calm to to my brain at that point. <laughs> A National League pitcher is more of an athlete. Period. Because if you're saying that if you're if you're saying that these guys can't handle something that we're asking them to do on an irregular basis, that's not an overall athlete. And an overall athlete, think about the guys that you talk about and you're saying these guys are – and I'm not saying Dylan Bundy is an overall – is not an overall athlete, but he's not as much of an overall athlete as some of these National League pitchers who are able to do it every every time that they're able to go out. I and mean that's – that's you can say that if you want just because – that's that's what they're asked to do. That's the rules of the game. I mean, it's not like the American League pitchers have the option of being hitters. Of course, technically, get, technically by rule they, they do. They could, but nine times out of ten, the, the, the American League teams, because of the rules being the what they are, oh, they're not. They're going to pay somebody else, <laughs> a much better hitter, to come in and be a DH. So how's that working for Chris Davis? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Trumbo is actually not doing too bad. Yeah, Trumbo's uh, not bad. Chris Davis, uh, another subject. Um, but here's my thing with <clears throat> with American League hitters: the DH plays every single game. Right? They are specialists. The DH is a specialist position. Right? Edgar Martinez. He wasn't an outfielder. Harold Baines, he wasn't an outfielder. He wasn't a fielder. He was a DH, right? In the latter parts of his career. I mean, all these guys you're naming, it's the latter parts of their career. That's what a DH is. It's a DH is a a life extender. Yeah, but, I mean, if you've got a bat and you don't have a glove, Ryan Mountcastle, I'm just going to use him for an example, right? His bat is major league ready. His glove is not. His glove's got a lot of work to do. There's been rumblings. There have been talks that he may come up at some point just strictly as a DH. It doesn't happen very often, especially at that young of an age. But if you've got a player that their bat is major league ready and they can bring a 280 to 300 average, you know, with plus home run power and that kind of thing, but their glove isn't there, that plays in the American League, right? My point is saying specialists are that pitchers are specialists. They shouldn't, in my eyes, they shouldn't be asked to be hitters. They're either starting pitchers, they're relief pitchers, or they're closing pitchers. That is their job, first and foremost. DHs, if you got rid of it, you're getting rid of and you're unemploying the Harold Baines of the of, of their careers. Harold Baines' careers cut much shorter. Edgar Martinez's careers cut much shorter. Both of those guys are Hall of Famers. If you got rid of the DH position, neither one of those guys are Hall of Famers because their careers couldn't last long enough to see them put the numbers up that they put up. Nobody judges Dylan Bundy on his batting average or his home runs or his his RBIs. Nobody judges even Madison Bumgardner is kind of the exception to the rule. You know what I mean? He's a he's a he's a a good hitting pitcher. Very very few and far in between come up. And put up those kind of numbers as a pitcher, right? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I get, I get exactly what you're saying. I feel like we, could, you and I, could go back and forth with oh, this yeah, all, absolutely. all night. It's, it's just frustrating. I, I think it's something that they need to to either go one way or the other with it. I hate the mix of the leagues. Why can't it just be 
Major League Baseball, American look, League, National League, but I, we all play by the same rules. Trust me, I get it because I've heard the argument. And this is I, – I give credit where credit is due, and it's it's a valid argument. You know, the NBA, the NHL, there's no difference between the East and the West and how and what the rules are. You know, so why is there between the American League and the National League? Part of it is, is you know, like we talked about, I, again, I'm a traditionalist, so I, I tend, to, tend to lean that way a little bit more often on most issues. This is one that – you know, I, I I tend to lean just because that's how it's always been done. Yes, it's extended it's, it's extended guys' careers. But what if they go the other way and say, okay, pitchers do have to hit? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, okay, you're pulling these guys away. But if you don't, when do these guys stop? Or let me rephrase that. When do these guys start to not hit? In the minors. These guys have, for, for what got them to this point, they've done – Hitting and pitching, but I could use a, a case like Michael Givens for for instance, right? Michael Givens was drafted as a shortstop. He had a great arm. He was a good pitcher in high school, but he was drafted as a power hitting shortstop. His bat didn't play very well in the minor leagues. His glove was okay, you know, maybe average, but where they saw you know potential in him from a major league standpoint and making a career out of Michael Givens at the major league level was pitching because of his arm talent. No, absolutely. And it's that's a that's a prime example, but what got him there? He never had that option. He never we both have to agree on that. He never got to that point without first being a hitter. Period. I mean, like you said, we could go back and yeah, forth so. on this all day. <laughs> but speaking of Michael Givens and where he started out and actually the first time I had ever seen Michael Givens uh, was in Aberdeen, which you and I uh, got a chance last night to go to Aberdeen uh, as part of the media in the press box and get a chance to look at some of the young up-and-coming talent uh, for the Orioles. I will say this, uh, wasn't too impressed in the one game uh, with no. what I saw. Uh, if you look at the stats, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> With the hitting statistics, they're uh, in the bottom third uh, of their their league in overall hitting. What was your take on last night? Anything positive that you saw out of last night? Uh, It's hard. I'll be honest. I'll be flat out honest. it's, It's hard. Now, granted, these guys are our young kids. And when I say young kids, most of these guys... Just got out of, you know, Division Two, Division Three schools. You know, they, these aren't Division One guys. You're talking Aberdeen Ironbirds, Single A, short season baseball. Um, but I think one thing I did like to see was uh, I, I saw the starting pitcher for the Ironbirds, Matt Hammonds. He was a lefty. Um, was hitting uh, usually about eighty eight to ninety. Um, he didn't top it more than that. Yeah, if I saw ninety, it was like once or twice. Yeah, he, was, he was more. I gave him, so cre- I gave him credit there. <laughs> Eighty-seven to like eighty-eight consistently. Yeah, and he. But here's the deal: he went six innings. He gave up four hits, two earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. He had ninety-one pitches, which I I like that. In a single A guy, I'm already starting to see ninety-some pitches. I yeah. like it. We can stretch him out, right? Fifty-seven of those were strikes. It's pretty good. Yeah, you know, good for, for a for a single A guy, it's a pretty good percentage. Um, 
so he was kind of the one, the one like bright spot, I guess you can say, um, that we really saw. A lot of these guys are, you know, struggling. We did not see a lot of guys, uh, you know, get too many hits. They actually got held uh, to a total of five hits the entire game. Yeah, Aberdeen ended up losing the game four to one last night. Um, it was what you'd expect to see at a low level A game. Uh, there were some base running errors, some fielding errors, some just uh, overrunning balls in the outfield, not taking the right angles. You know, these are all things that can be developed and can be worked on. And obviously, you progress through through the minor league system. But uh, yeah, to, to your credit with Matt Hammonds. The kid, what didn't have overpowering stuff, he did have good off-speed stuff. Um, now they did make some solid contact on him, but uh, a lot of those were, you know, short fly balls or ground balls to the infield. So he was pitching to contact, wasn't getting a whole lot of swings and misses. No. Uh, Ruben Garcia, we got a chance to see him in relief. Gave up a couple runs in relief. He uh, he was a little erratic. Uh, he has some electric stuff. He was in the low 90s, but uh, looked like he had a little bit of a, of a control issue. But what I liked about him was, I would say, at least 90 to 95%. I, I think there was only maybe one or two balls um, that actually got up in the air. The one, obviously, was a line shot down the line that ended up uh, plating two. Um but yeah, I mean, at every one of his outs were ground ball outs in the infield. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're spot on. He pitched the seventh and the eighth inning. He had uh, he did in the seventh give up one run, um, and he actually gave up another hit in that inning as well. But then the three other guys were ground outs. It was a ground out to the second. Or I'm sorry, ground out to the third baseman, a ground out to the, the first baseman, and a ground out again to the third baseman. And then when he comes out in the eighth, he gets a ground out to first. Then he gets a ground out to uh, second base. Gives up, uh, you know, a base hit that winds up scoring uh, around on a, a single, um, long single, and then K's the last guy to end the inning. Yeah. So I definitely agree that he kept the ball down. It, it, there was a lot of life, you know, to his pitches. He just was a little, a little more on the erratic side. Um, but the stats don't show that because he pitched thirty-seven pitches, twenty-four of which were pitched for strikes. Yeah. Again, so. pitching the contact, but what I liked about him was that he kept the ball on the ground for the majority of, of, of his pitches. So that was that was the one bright spot. But I think the the brightest spot, uh, getting a chance to go up to Aberdeen, and one of the things that uh, I was excited to see was a familiar number 23 in the dugout and in the press, in box. The press box with this. Uh, for those of you that are Oriole fans that have been Oriole fans through – the good times and the bad times. Uh, one of my and your uh, idols growing up, Chris Hoyles, his son Dalton Hoyles just signed with the with the Orioles yeah. and was in uniform last night in the dugout for the Ironbirds for the first time. Uh, really, really cool experience for us. This is probably the third or fourth time I've actually had a chance to talk to Chris Hoyles. I, I worked at the airport and ran into him a few times there and talked to him as well. Um, got a chance to talk to him last night about everything. He's, he he was honest. I mean, he said, you know, the negotiations were tough. He wasn't sure if, if things were going to end up working out. But uh, Dalton ended up signing on the dotted line yesterday, and 
he couldn't be a prouder papa. Yeah, no, he was he was sitting there watching. He would you could tell he was a little itchy to get. He wanted to see him get in there. It wasn't going to happen last night. You know, first night in uniform, not going to happen. Um, but yeah, no, it was it definitely was really cool. You you seem to be geeking out a little bit over yeah. there. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's, this is too cool. <laughs> yeah, for our for our first experience in the press box to uh, to share it with Chris Hoyles last night, pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the overall experience in that press box was was great last night. Not even yeah. just Chris being there. You know, we had fun. It's a really great. Um, environment, you know, you don't get to see. You know, I've been to plenty of Ironbird games. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah. Um, but it was great to kind of see kind of like the behind the scenes shots. Yeah, for you us. don't you don't realize like what all goes into the audio video broadcast of a of a game like that. Even at the minor league level, you know, there's kind of we'll call him the orchestrator behind the scenes that's, you know, calling out the shots to the PA addresser and calling out the shots to the video crew. And we got a chance to see that last night, which, you know, most people don't get a chance to see. It was, it was a really, really cool experience. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was, you know, despite it being a bad game, it was also, uh, you know, it, I was honestly a little, little, Saddened by the attendance, uh, but it yeah. is it is a holiday week. You know, it's so. hot as hell out there. It's hot <laughs> yeah. eighty. Yeah, I think it was uh, twenty two eighty one was the the attendance for last night's game, and it can house sixty eight hundred. Yeah, um, it was a little light on the crowd, but they have fun with it. You know, if you haven't been to a minor league baseball game, please get out and see one. If you've got kids, minor league baseball is where it's at. I mean, for first of all, the tickets are are really affordable for a family to go. Um, your chances of of getting interactions with players and coaches or getting a foul ball and that kind of thing increased immensely in oh, these yeah. games. They do all kinds of things on the field in between innings to get the you know the crowd and the fans involved and all that and bring the kids out on the field. They did like a uh, a wiffle bat toss with water balloons <laughs> last night to the kids. It was just it's it, again if you've got kids of any age really. Get out and and go to a minor league game. It doesn't have to be at Aberdeen. It, I mean, I've been to all of them. The, I've even been to Norfolk. Uh, I've been to to Bowie. The only one I haven't been to is Delmarva. So that's yeah. what we're gonna have to check off our list at some point because I'd like to go there. Uh, but if you live anywhere near a minor league stadium, get out and go to a game. Yeah, I mean, it was like you said, the tickets are really, really affordable. I mean, again. We brought this up with the brigade. We aren't paid in any way, shape, or form for this. This is us having fun and, yeah. and doing a hobby and. The tickets are you can get a ticket on a, on the one of the rails on the third base side. A ticket on the rail is 5 bucks. There was four people on the rail last night. After I looked it up, I look over. It was like the third or fourth inning. There's four people on the rail. Four. Yeah. And there's like 50 seats. And then the most you're going to pay is $17 unless you're doing one of their special things like the crab feasts that they do. You know, they do different certain nights where you can go up to the club level and there's different, you know, buffets. You could pay a little bit more, but it's still a great experience up there. Yeah, there um, really is. I mean, the, the seats are all so close to the field. There isn't a bad seat in, you know, in the place. Well, so. maybe that lady that got hit last night. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a, a lady took one straight to the gut last night. Uh, did not look pleasant. Luckily, Which, she had a little extra cushion there to absorb it, but... <laughs> I was. I don't know about you, but I, one thing I was surprised to see was to not see the nets. Yeah, yeah, extended out past extended the dugout. Out. You know, I didn't even think about that until after the game. I was going through the pictures of last night, and I and I that caught my eye. I was like, so they haven't extended at the minor league level where there's more kids because I mean, I, the the amount of especially little kids yeah. at minor league games. 
and hitters that are not as good, pitchers that are not as good. Right. You know, yeah. That's, we that's saw a very how many go into the stands last night? Oh, I mean, quite a few. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these balls that go up on the roof end up coming back down. And if you're not paying attention, that will clunk you right in the head. They do a great job, though. We were sitting there watching it, and they're all orchestrated. It's, it's another thing that we were yeah. sitting there saying. They're, they actually tell you when the ball's coming back down so that the fans can be ready for it. Nobody gets hurt and anything like that. Um, you know, the time of the last night's game was also two hours and 36 minutes. Uh, it, it felt a lot longer than that with <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that game because of how it was going. But uh, overall, I think it was a great experience. Everybody does need definitely get out there. Um, it, it's a it's a fun time. We will be back there at some point because uh, we had a great time and we found out we're good media for the whole year. Yeah, so we'll definitely be back there again, and hopefully, we can run into another. Oriole Hall of Famer, maybe uh, someone else in in the press box. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Speaking of Hall of Famers and Baltimore Hall of Famers, uh, recently at Ravens training camp, uh, Todd Heap has kind of been around, and you know he's been talking to the media, and he's actually been pretty vocal and and, and pretty impressed with what he's seen so far from the tight ends and, and some of the offensive line play. Yeah, he was actually quoted as saying, we will see over the next couple of months, but I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. Yeah, And he was referencing the tight ends and the offensive guards in that, that statement. That's a lot of respect coming from a guy like Todd Heap, in my opinion. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Todd Heap, uh, very well respected here, especially in Baltimore. Um, you know, he... <laughs> One of the one of the greatest tight ends, definitely in Ravens history, uh, Ring of Honor kind of guy, um, straight shooter. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he would sing the praise of of tight ends in, in the offensive line if if he wasn't truly impressed with what he saw. Uh, I personally, I've I've said this before. If if the offensive line can stay healthy this year, getting Alex Lewis back and getting Marshall Yonda back, even with the loss of Ryan Jensen at the center position going into last year, we had no idea what to expect with Ryan Jensen. Ryan Jensen hadn't played center in this level at this, you know, in this league at this level. Uh, He had been an offensive guard up until last year and Matt Skura. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think he'd be a bad fill in role at the center position, but I'm excited to see, the kind of production we're going to get out of the offensive line, what that means for our entire offense, the running game, the passing game, it, it, it's going to be tenfold for this team. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. It's going to be, it, it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see how, where everybody winds up getting placed. Uh, but it, it's going to be quite interesting to see how, how these guys perform against real defense yeah you know yeah i mean they still haven't put the pads on yet you know there's <laughs> we still got to actually get into training camp and really see what these guys do and knock on wood hopefully like i said we can get through this training camp a lot healthier than we have in the years past i mean these guys were dropping like flies last year uh right up until opening day it was literally you you'd be like okay who's gonna go down today yeah i mean every day i woke up with if i had a ravens alert on my phone I didn't, you didn't even want, want to look, look at it. it. Exactly. No, I didn't. I was like, oh God, I can't stand to see us lose another player. You know, and so far this year we've we've done pretty well, but uh the test is gonna be <laughs> yeah, the test is gonna be once they actually put the pads on. So. Yeah. I think it's it was definitely interesting. Uh, you know, the other thing that, that was um you know kind of brought up about interesting for this year, 
uh, I saw an article from John Eisenberg referencing the kickoff game for this year. Um, They have kind of gotten together and basically what they've said is, is they are going to, and I'm going to use, I'm going to use his, his his wording here on this. um, But players covering kickoffs will no longer uh, be able to get a running start on the kickoff. So that's going to ensure that they are a further distance. You basically have to wait until it's been kicked and you're now you can start running after the guy. So I think they're trying to bring back that, you know, the kicking team doesn't have the speed and the, you know, the momentum of getting to the ball. You're going to see a lot more collisions, I think, a lot further onto the field, you know, closer to the 20, 25, 30, 40 yard line. I think that's good. I think that's good, you know, for the game. I think that. You know, there's been a lot of talks about kickoffs and what to do with them, and there's been tweaks and things and changes over the years and all that kind of stuff. Where it's really, to be honest with you, there, it's really taken the return game kind of out of the picture. I mean, because pretty much any of these NFL kickers can kick the ball out of the back of the end zone at any given time if they want to, uh, with how close it is. So, and there's been discussions with that, just removing the kickoff altogether from the league and and to me that just again this kind of goes back to our discussion earlier you know with if you remove the dh you're you're leaving some really good hitters unemployed it's the same thing you know if you if you take away the return game you know you've got people in the nfl players in the nfl devin hester he was one of them he made that's the biggest name yeah i mean it's the easiest one to think of he made a career off of returning kicks and he's a potential hall of famer just off of returning kicks. Nothing else that he did in the game. Yeah, no, he's that's, that's what he did. He, he wasn't known for being a wide receiver. Did he play a wide receiver? Sure. Right. And a kickoff return can really change a game in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something that at any given time on a kickoff, a team has the chance to, for a touchdown and to break a play open in a matter of seconds versus having to go through a drive, you know, to go down the field. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that there's proposals in the other direction where they want to do things to keep the kicking game and not only keep it, but make it more involved where there's, it's, it's basically promoting people to start returning the kicks. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of the opposite, in my opinion. It's It's been an effect uh, that it's been the opposite of what's happening uh, with baseball and the slowing down of things. I've, I've also seen, that in my opinion, it's been, there's been a, a pickup of, there's been a pickup of the speed of the game. But as soon as they did that, and they got rid of the got rid of the kickoff, I'm going to call it that because that's really essentially, essentially what, they, what did. they did. Right? You saw the game slow down. Yeah. You know, think about it. Last time I was at a game, and you see a kickoff go, it goes out of the end zone, and what does everybody do? Everybody walks and meanders up to the 20 yard line, and the guys come out. You got to bring some excitement back to the game, and that's going to be the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. Is to is to keep that in there. Um. But talking about excitement, you know, kind of getting back to the name of the show. What time is it? Game time. What time is it? Game time. Hey, dog's in the house. 
<laughs> oh, you're not going to bark? Come on. No, nah, <laughs> There is a dog in the house. He's sitting right outside the door. Yeah, I'm not getting him all worked up. <laughs> yeah, no, right? <laughs> but no, we uh, – so one of the things that that is coming up, um, and it'll be next month, August 2nd through the 5th, is Hall of Fame weekend. Uh, and we will see Ray Lewis inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting, like, kind of thinking back, what is the biggest moment or the most memorable moment that just comes to mind? There's the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> when it comes to Ray Lewis. Well, it's it's, it's funny asking me that. Um, there's two moments that come to mind when it comes to Ray Lewis. And I think both of them kind of define what Ray Lewis was. Uh, first for me, uh, just talking about his play was the big fourth down stop in San Diego, where he came through the line and I believe it was Darren Sproles just laid Darren Sproles out uh, on fourth down to, to end that game in San Diego. Uh, it's just kind of the epitome of Ray Lewis. The other, the other memory for me uh, was a few years ago. I believe it was, uh, I believe it was when Atlanta went to the Super Bowl. This was two years ago. There was a video that floated around of Ray Lewis, literally in a garage with nobody there, just him and a camera yelling, screaming at the walls, like trying to get, you know, paint cans and, and, and drywall motivated, uh, a little, I mean, if that doesn't define what Ray Lewis was a little eccentric, uh, a little animated, a little over the top, um, you know, Flacco, I think said it best in an interview at one point with Ray Lewis. He's like, halftime, I don't even know what the hell he's talking about or what the hell he's even saying. And, all this stuff. Yeah, right. and it's true. I mean, Ray Lewis is some of the stuff that he says is just so far fetched is so far out there. Uh, that video, if you haven't seen that yet, where where he is just literally literally in an unfinished I think garage, I, re- I think I just, remember seeing just that video parading too. around and yelling as if there's people sitting around. It was just pretty pretty comical to watch. But that's Ray Lewis, man. He he, uh, the ultimate motivator, um, the ultimate showmanship. Ray is Ray was definitely one of the more animated characters probably in NFL history. Yeah, I, I think. For me, and this is really kind of going back uh, to 96. Oh, wow. The inaugural year. The guy came out in his first game, makes seven tackles, and has a pickoff mm. in the Memorial Stadium end zone. Set the tone. It set the tone for his career. Yeah. You know, thinking back, that's that's to me, that's the, the biggest thing. And I, I was, what, I was eight years old at that time. And I remember seeing it on TV and go, wow, like, cool. Like, this, yeah. this guy's like, this guy's, this guy's first legit. year. This guy's cool. Right. You know, and, and then just kind of growing up and watching him over the years. Um, the secondary moment that I would call would, would be him coming out after winning the last trophy. Yeah. And coming out and in a, you know, in a, I think he was in a suit coming out and doing the Ray dance, yeah. you know, in a suit and 
watching his face and I think about it and it kind of, you know, it, it wells me up. He, he spent a lot of time in Baltimore. He did a lot for Baltimore. Yes, there was still a lot of controversy. Lot. There, yeah, and there was a lot of controversy during his time. And there's still – people still do question and hate on him for some things. But this guy is a guy that had passion. Hmm. He had, you know, drive. And he didn't want to just drive for himself. He drove for the people around him. He made players around him better. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you there. I mean, you think about how many linebackers that left Baltimore got big deals elsewhere, but then ended up not really doing well. I mean, I could think Edgerton Hartwell, he was one, played really well here when he was with Ray Lewis. Um, Darnell Ellerby, he was yeah. another guy that, uh, you know, went on and signed a big deal elsewhere and just never really made anything of himself. Jameel McLean, another guy. Uh, he just makes players around him better. Because he was, he was that field general on the field. There wasn't between him and him and Ed Reed when they were on the field together. I mean, they 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 were on field coaches. If you were out of position, they were going to let you know. Oh yeah, they were. And they weren't going to let you live it down either. No, they weren't. And it, it, they had a level of expectation. I don't. I don't know if you saw um, prior to mini camps this year. Ed Reed did a sit down with the rookies and during his sit down, he I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he, he had said being a Raven, there's a level of expectation. There's a bar that's set. And if you don't feel as though you can meet that level of expectation, you need to go. Yeah. It's basically what he's saying. And, and, and it's, it's, it's all about effort. And, that video was on Ravens.com. Right. And if there's anything that you can question about Ray Lewis over his time, one thing that you absolutely cannot question was his effort. Oh, no. That man from day one, from 96 until he retired after the 2012 season, gave his everything on every play. And it's yeah. something that I'm I'm proud to say that I got to see. It's something that... You know, I'll pass on to my kids whenever that happens down the road. You know, that's something that, you know, I don't think we'll ever see a player of that magnitude. Just the entire aura of what Ray Lewis was. Um, the passion on the field, the passion off the field, the passion, you know, in the in the interviews. And, you know, everybody knows the Ray Lewis speech and how he talks and, you know. He's got the Hulk oh, Hogan esque, yeah. you know, kind of kind of thing. But you know what? It, it worked for Hulk Hogan and it worked for Ray Lewis because what does Ray do on the side now? He gives motivational speeches because I tell you what, he's damn good at it. Yeah, and if you think that uh, the the Hall of Fame speech is going to be a uh, a mellow. Thank you, and oh man, I, I can't wait. Watch him throw everybody off and do that. Nah, <laughs> I, nah, I don't, I, it's not going to happen. I but. think we'll see the dance. I think we'll see every bit of what Ray Lewis is in that speech. Um, you know, I, he'll probably go on for about twenty to thirty minutes where we have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. That's just Ray. This one time. <laughs> This happened. I want a happy meal with no pickles. I mean, he can, can you imagine him ordering food at a McDonald's? Good Lord. Uh, nah, but I, I'm excited to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. One guy that's not going to the Hall of Fame or not going to his induction speech, uh, Terrell Owens. Man, that guy. 
what a freaking character. You know, I mean, he, he, he cried for however long about not getting into the Hall of Fame. Here he is. He gets into the Hall of Fame and basically gives the Hall of Fame committee the middle finger and says, yep, not showing up for my induction speech. going to go ahead and do that on my own terms at my alma mater. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Whatever. That's I mean, Terrell it, it's Strohs. You can't. You can't. And then I saw something the other day about him wanting to potentially make a comeback. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, dude, but, go. And listen, <laughs> I did hear he ran a 4440 at 40 something years old, however old he is now. A 4440. I did hear he ran that. Now, granted, who was keeping track of the time? I don't know. I don't know how official that 440, you know, that time was, but uh, that was word going around. Four forty and forty inches. <laughs> like I mean, that's I mean, you know what? If that's the case, good, good for him. But why are you behind a desk and not on a field? Yeah, because no, I guarantee you, any team that's going to do it, yes, you come with a lot of baggage. But if you can put up those numbers at that age, it's a Steve Smith esque situation. You somebody's going to take you. And yeah, but Steve Smith came with. We can't deny Steve Smith came with some baggage. Steve Smith came with baggage, but not Terrell. Terrell Owens <laughs> kind of baggage. Terrell Owens is a whole other animal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, <laughs> well, moving on. So you know, a couple of weeks ago, we got a chance to go to the brigade game, um, and we got in at the tail end uh, of their regular season. They just finished up their regular season in Philly. Uh, well, which, they have one, I think they have one more game left. I think against the. Valley. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah. have one more game left in uh, in Washington. That'll actually decide uh, the seating in the ASL because uh, you've got three teams now sitting at seven and four after the Brigade ended up losing in Philly on a questionable call by Coach Omar Smith. What an end to this game! Yeah, you 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 score a touchdown. With seconds left in the game. Ten, to be exact. You have the chance to kick the extra point and force overtime. But you risk it all. And you go for two. And it ends up biting you in the foot. And remember, two is inside that ten-yard line we were talking about when we went to the game. Yeah, they struggle. They struggle inside the ten. But here's the thing. You're talking about a league that's four teams. Yeah. And all the teams make the playoffs. So. Including including the Washington Valor, who are in the dust with one in ten. Yeah. One in ten playoff team. When's the last time you heard that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh I cannot wait till next year when they're if they really are adding all these teams that they're saying that they're adding, you know, it's only gonna be doubling the league, but at least it's gonna make it a little bit more interesting come playoff yeah, time. At least that way they can make it where half the league makes the te- you know, makes the playoffs and half the team doesn't. Half the league doesn't. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the Soul end up beating the brigade forty nine to forty eight uh, in front of a much larger crowd than what's down in uh, the down in Baltimore these days. I think they had like a little over eight thousand fans end up showing up in Philly. And like I said, that's I, what happens when I don't know if he does or not. But Bon Jovi owned that team at one point. Yeah, no, I, so, I I don't know if he still does or not. Yeah, but I don't he definitely know. did at one point. Um, it's again, it's it's still a very fun product to go down and watch. Um, Pay attention on their website, PhiladelphiaSoul.com. Or I'm sorry, not Philadelphia. BaltimoreBrigade.com. You can check it on the Philadelphia Soul. But pay attention for what the seedings are because there's a if they win this next game, there's a pretty good chance that home game. It, they're getting a home game. Yeah, so again, playoff football. It's arena league, high scoring, a lot of fun. 
And it's the playoff, so if you can get in for that, you might as well go down there. Interesting fact about the Soul, it was owned by John Bon Jovi and Craig Spencer and is now owned by Richie Sambora <laughs> and Ron Jaworski. I did oh, not Ron know Jaworski, that. I did know that. I did hear that uh, a little while back. So, All right, well, moving on, let's talk caps. There's been a, been a lot. There's been a, a lot of movement. Pun, pun intended here, there's been a flurry. Yeah, a flurry of activity uh, with the caps. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we didn't get we didn't get flurry. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they did end up making it official with assistant coach, uh, assistant head coach Todd Reardon as the new head coach moving forward. I thought we talked about this before. It's pretty much a given. Uh, I think that that's probably the easiest move for this team moving forward, just because it keeps the same message. Uh, there's not a whole lot of change, and uh, like I said last week, a lot of the players end up liking this guy a lot. Yeah, that's I mean that's what we'll, all that we've seen and all that we've read. Um, you know, is that so many of these guys have liked him. Um, apparently, there's one guy that may not have liked him that much. Yeah, and I'm not saying that because he's made any statements. I'm just saying this because he didn't sign. There's some sad Beagle fans out there. Yeah, Jay Beagle ended up signing with uh, Vancouver. Uh, or I'm sorry, with uh, was Ari- it Vancouver or was it Arizona? Was, I thought it was Arizona. I thought it was the Canucks, but did Arizona sneak in? I know it was like a twelve million dollar deal. Um, you know, it was it was far outside of what the Capitals could afford. Um, Jay Beagle, longtime Capital. Um, you know, sad to see him go. But we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I thought that. Out of all the f- the key free agents, he was probably the most expendable, which sucks because he's you know you like him as a person, you like him as a player, uh, he's a good guy, but uh, wish him luck moving forward. It was the Canucks, by the way, in in Vancouver. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. That's my my notes are wrong. That's all right. Uh, but one move that the uh, the Caps ended up making, which did catch me by surprise, was they ended up bringing Kepney back on a four year, ten million dollar deal. Um, Good big minutes uh, in the playoffs, so I'm glad that the uh, the Caps were able to get him in under the cap, and they're still negotiating. It's pretty much a done deal with Tom Wilson. They're just working out. They're working uh, out all the details. Yeah, from what we they're understand. working under the, all the details and the financials and everything. So uh, a good portion of this team coming back to DC. So I'm excited for the Caps moving forward for next year. Yeah, so am I. I mean, it's you've you've got a lot of guys. You know, you mentioned Kepney coming back. Uh, you also had them re-sign Travis Boyd uh, for a two-year, one point six. And the one thing, and the one guy that we both said is underrated, and it seems to me he got an underrated contract. If, if it's my now, he did get from from some of the the news that's been out there. He did get larger offers, but he wanted to stay with the Capitals, so he did take the small offer. I still think the Caps should have offered him a heck of a lot more than this. Uh, they re-signed Smith Pelly on a one-year, one-mil deal. I think here's here's the thing, and my take on that: the Caps will have a little bit more cap room next year. So if Smith Pelly really wants to stay here long term, then it made more sense in him signing this one-year deal in a prove-it kind of deal because. If you base him off of what he did in the regular season, then the contract is is justified. What he did 
in the playoffs, totally different player, totally different level. But he needs to be able to show that he can give that kind of an effort consistently consistently throughout the regular season. And I think that's what it is. I think it's more of a prove it kind of deal. And if he can do that, then, um, you know, I'd like to see them sign him again next year. Maybe to a longer term deal. Yeah, I mean, he's in my opinion, he's a strong player. He, you get a clutch guy like that that steps up. You know, during that time period, it's kind of one of those things that I feel like he should have gotten maybe one point five two. That's, when I when I say that's that's a large jump in in hockey, you know. So you know, the other guy that we signed is a center, Nick Dowd. We signed him for one year, six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, it's not these ridiculous salaries that you're seeing in the NBA and MLB and, you know, not as much in the NFL, but to an extent. But I definitely think he he deserved a little bit more because of what he did do for you. I hate to say this. We don't win the, the cup if Smith Pelly's not there, in my opinion. Yeah, he no, had I, two clutch goals. Look, what what this Capitals team was able to do through this playoff run wasn't about just any one person. It was a total team effort. Oh, absolutely. And Smith Pelly was a huge part in that. I mean, he he really did step his game up to an entire another level, um, doubling his goal total, f- you know, from the regular season in the in the playoffs. Um, it's just like I said, you got to be able to show that consistently. And I think that's what the Caps are, are hoping that they can see out of Smith Pelly moving forward. Yeah, I mean they have. I agree with you. They have to see it. I think it's a prove. It, it maybe it is that prove me contract. I just I guess if other teams were offering him that, and he yeah he took a pay cut and that's great and you know great financially, but let him let him kind of go on it. You know what I mean? It's the guy is has shown you that when the time comes, you can rely on him. Speaking of time comes. It's that time. And now it's time for the two minute warning. All right, Scott, this week you are on the clock for the two-minute warning. I've got a lot to cover. Come on. <laughs> All right, Scott, your two-minute warning, it starts now. Everybody knows this one, DeMarcus Cousins. He signed with the Golden State Warriors for one year, $5.3 million. A lot of questions going around there. Obviously, everybody knows about the Le- LeBron piece too, but today, Lakers – Signed Rajon Rondo to a one-year, $9 million contract. Land the misfit players, man. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Phoenix Thoroughbreds. So this is the company that owns Gronkowski, the horse. Uh, they acquired a new horse. They named him LeBron J. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Here we go. Here comes all the horses. Uh, FIFA. Uruguay lost to Portugal. Upset number one. Argentina loses to France. Upset number two. Russia beats Spain via a tie and a 4-3 to three penalty kick shootout. Upset number three. And we're only in the round of 16. 
Patrick Peterson, Arizona Cardinals quarterback, says he's quite impressed from what he's seeing from their new QB in Josh Rosen. Sam Bradford is being still being claimed as being the starter, but Rosen could take that job away. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in this draft. Could be. Ruben Foster, linebacker for the 49ers, been suspended two games after substance abuse policy. He's had multiple arrests and charges over the past year or two uh, leading up to this year. NFL is asking arbitrator Stephen Burbank to provide a summary judgment under an article in collective bargaining agreement for collusion disputes in reference to the Colin Kaepernick case. Basically, they want to end the case. Arizona Diamondbacks activate A.J. Pollock off the DL out since he's fractured his thumb in May. Orioles tie here to activate him. They had to op- they had to option Christian Walker. Remember that name? Yeah, oh, yeah. He was the first baseman. Right. And I'm not going to get through the, this other one, but Joey Chestnut, he is a minus 700 favorite for the 2018 national or Nathan's national hot dog eating contest in Coney Island. Under or I'm sorry, over under for this year's winter on that. 70.5 hot dogs. Oh, good. By the way, if you have a $100 bet on Joey, Joey yeah. Chestnut there, um, you win $14.29. I need a <laughs> box of Tums just listening <laughs> to you talk about it. Ugh. One other thing, I didn't get the chance to put it in, but I have to I have to say this because I know that we've talked a little bit, you and I have talked a little bit about UFC in the past, but this was uh, somewhat big news, and there's a big kind of interesting tie here. Chuck the Iceman Liddell. And Tito, you can call him one of two people's one of two one of two things: the people's champ, or you can call him the Huntington Bad Boy, uh, Ortiz. Tito Ortiz are going to fight for the third time since two thousand and four. <laughs> the promoter behind this fight, Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, a bunch of old, washed up people <laughs> promoting old and washed up people. It's it's. Chuck Liddell, I have all the respect for him. You know, one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time, but. Good Lord, hang it up before you are just a cucumber. I do have to share his statement, though. He he said, it feels great to sign a deal, to be honest with you. It's exciting, as I knew it would be. Golden Boy, he's referencing uh, Oscar De La Hoy's promotion, his Golden Boy promotions. Golden Boy offers something different. We're partners in this. And then he was then quoted as saying, and I never get sick of punching Tito. That guy, man. Whew. Yeah. Talk about animated characters. He, yeah, he, he, he's another one. But he, he, he is, is one but. that uh, I'll talk a lot of shit behind a microphone. But I definitely wouldn't say that stuff to his face. There's no way it You suck. Hi, Mr. Liddell. Yeah, How are no. you? <laughs> uh, James says he loves my shirt and he loves your cup. I do love your shirt. Yeah, the cup. The, the Stanley Cup of Cups. Uh, 20 bucks. You can get this on Amazon. I thought it was kind of cool. I'm going to throw that there on the, uh, the mantle when I'm done drinking this. So appreciate that, James. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Episode 52 officially in the books. What time is it? Game time, huh? Be sure to check us out on the web, birdlandbs.com. Follow us on all our social network sites, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can now find the audio podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, the TuneIn app, Spotify, and as of today, Stitcher. So be sure to check us out on there and look us up on all those sites. Thanks for tuning in, as always, for Birdland BS. I'm Fred. I'm Scott. We'll see you guys. See you.